Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson. I'm with Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 104 in our series. Tonight's topic is Six Rules That Will Kickstart Your Book Website Into Full Gear. And our special guest will be Jamie Saloff. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. Please send them to info at authorsaccess.com. Now tonight, we're on the line with Jamie Saloff, who uses many facets of creation and design as an author, web designer, book designer, and publishing consultant, as well as a jewelry designer and art enthusiast. For over a decade, Jamie has been a book designer and DIY publishing consultant for countless authors and publishers, particularly professionals who are navigating the waters of self-publishing for the very first time. Jamie is the site owner of www.polka.banner.com, an author-helping author website designed to help authors gain visibility for their books. She also maintains several other sites she has built and designed, including the site for Pen Writers, a multi-genre writers organization where she is the web committee chair. Jamie is the author of Transformational Healing, five surprisingly simple keys designed to redirect your life toward wellness, purpose, and prosperity. She has also authored two other books, one of which is The Publishing Center, which was based on her years of work heading an all-volunteer elementary school writing center, which produced on average 1,000 student-written books per year. Wow, that's quite a record. Uh, good evening, Jamie. Good evening. I'm really glad to uh, have you um, online with us. Uh, we've been communicating back and forth for a number of years, and uh, it's really great to be able to interview you now and have you share some of your uh, expertise with our listening audience. And today, as Victor had said, we're going to be talking about uh, book websites, and, uh, which is I think the first thing that we really need to talk about, and I'm going to ask you to just tell our listening audience, especially those that do not have a website and don't feel that they need one, why they really should have one for a book. Well, my personal feeling is that the average reader, the average person who's curious to learn more about the author, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go on the web looking to learn more about you. And if you have a blog, that's very nice. Uh, a lot of times I tell authors if, if that's the only thing that they can do to do that. Um, or if they just find you know, your Twitter account or your Facebook, that really doesn't give a good impression of who you are. And I feel that, author, or that the reader has a tendency to live vicariously off the author. They want to see all those interesting things that you do that they haven't done that you're writing about in their book. And if they go and your website is lackluster or you don't have one, that doesn't really give them that that sense, you know, of uh, uh, mystery or or you know, depending on what you write, you know, they want to know more about you. I so agree with you, Jamie. And uh, I, of course, we run across a lot of authors that don't have websites and they just don't understand why they should. And I'm glad you pointed that out. Also, I and I'm sure that you're agreeing with me that people want to know, as you mentioned, about the author. But they also want to know more about it. It's more about the author and who the person really is rather than the book themselves. 
Absolutely. And and I also, you know, had done a lot of marketing research and, and learned a lot about online marketing. And one of the keys to selling is that making the the purchaser or the reader feel like they know you a little bit. I mean, obviously they don't know you as a friend or know you as a relative, that kind of thing. But by able being able to maybe see your picture, learn a little bit about you, they kind of get a sense that uh, you know you're the girl next door or something like that, and and that helps encourage readers to buy. I still agree. Uh, one thing you just mentioned, a picture. How important is that picture of the author? Well, let me tell you something I did before I called, and that was I went to some of my favorite authors' websites, and one of the things that I noticed about them is, um, and let me quickly, t- quickly tell you which ones I pulled up. I pulled up Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, Jackie Collins, and Lisa Scottolini. These are all big authors. When you go to their websites, you're going to find out that their picture there is larger than life. It's uh-huh. going to leap out at you, and you're going to feel almost like they're sitting there with you in your living room. I think that's significant because the typical author website, they have their picture kind of tucked away, like they're kind of afraid to show themselves. Or, you know, there they are sitting at their computer, which, you know, 9,000 other authors have done, or there's a picture of their cat. Yeah. <laughs> no cats, please. <laughs> that is so true. A picture of their cat or a dog or something is like, huh? Um, I, yeah, exactly. What about um, what about color? What about um, you know the design itself? So what I'm hearing you say is really, in, in taking the model of the ones that you had just mentioned, the picture is right there, as though they're sitting there in life with you. What about the rest of that? What, um, well, I like important. to talk about my very first website. I was so proud of it. It was 1997. I had my modem, you know, hooked up by some secondary wire, and I had like a purple background with black kind of jaggedy text. <laughs> that was hot stuff. But let's face it, today that's not going to work. And one of my my pet peeves is going to a site where they have maybe a plaid background, and you, you can't even read what they've written there. Uh-huh. So color and design play a very big part in even being able to read the site well. I notice there's still uh, a number of people that use uh, black background with white writing. So or blood red. And, uh-huh. and I was thinking, I was thinking before this call that about the only person who should use black with blood red are vampire writers. And then I thought, well, but that's what all the vampire writers are doing. So why not do something a little different? Uh-huh. You know, sure, you can bring in the darkness without making it hard to read, making it look typical, and without making it look like you made it in 15 minutes. Right, and so you just said something like you made it in 15 minutes, and it's obvious that some of these are homemade. I mean, homemade cookies are wonderful, but in this day and age with the millions of websites out there, we have a lot of competition, especially as, as authors, and the website really, I don't personally think it should look homemade. Now, maybe this is something I'm just, you know, being a little bit more particular, but what do you think? What is your feeling? I don't have a problem with an author making their own site. I have a problem with an author making their own site and doing it badly. Yeah. So I, I think if you're going to do it yourself, if nothing else, um, go to the library and get out a couple of books to look at what good design is. Go to some top author sites and some top um, other sites as well and see what works and what doesn't and copy things that you really like. Um, you, don't, you don't have to 
you know, when you use some of those uh, do-it-yourself clicky programs that a lot of them are using now, you, you kind of end up with something that looks like um, a, a, an eighth-grade uh, modern art piece. <laughs> yeah. If you get my gist, it's, it's kind of like very strange and odd, you know, like it's not supposed to go together. Uh-huh. And these kinds of things reflect on who you are as an author. If you're trying to present yourself as a professional and you want to get credibility, which is going to get you more reviews, more readers, more interviews, you know, more opportunities, then you have to present yourself professionally. And if your site looks like you taped it together with scotch tape and um, some paint, then it's just, it's just not going to make you look professional. Great. I so agree with you, Jamie. Well, this is a little bit off topic, but what do you think about using a template or hiring someone to make a template versus using one of the content management systems like Joomla or WordPress? Can you get good results either way? Or? Well, I use both. So I'm a big, a big lover of Joomla because you can build a beautiful website really fast. But you don't have to use a free template that 40 other people are using there are some really nice ones um, you can get for a small fee or get customized for a smaller fee and still have something that looks unique yet um, is easy to use and, and overall fits together well. Um, one of the things that I like about the uh, CMS sites is that they're kind of organized for you already. So as far as design and ease of navigation, that part is there for you. Then you can talk to, you know, maybe you have a friend who's an artist or um, even if you hire out to have some art added to it, that will make it unique and make it yours and, and that will make it look not pre-made. And you can probably do that for very little money if you look around. Um, I also use uh, Dreamweaver and make some sites that are just kind of um, off the wall, unique, you know, and do things that are not... Uh, preformed, not um, pre-organized. But the nice thing about those is I still try to keep good design. You know, the thing that I find that's important is uh, many designers of websites are um, left-brained. They're thinking logically, navigation, um, where this tab should be, where that tab should be. And many artists are not good at that part. They're very right-brained. So you almost need to find two people to come together and build one website unless you find one of those really unique ones who have both talents, and that's really hard to find. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, they talk about the, the designers versus the coders or something like that. But yeah, it definitely takes two different brains to get it done. Let's Let's go back to basics a little bit and talk about – I hear people use words like above the fold. What do the different – areas of the page, how are they best used? I talk about it as real estate because especially if you're selling a product, whether it's a book or something else, a service, um, there is an above-the-fold area, but we often forget a lot of times a web designer will be on a very large monitor and they'll look at the whole picture. But we have a lot of users out there who maybe have a 12-inch screen or a 15-inch so it's good to do two things. One is to think about it. Um, let's say for English-speaking sites, um, it would be left to right, top to bottom, so that your left top corner would be your prime real estate. That's where you want to build your penthouses, 
That's where you want the most important thing to be. And then as you start going below the fold or scrolling down or going towards the right, then the real estate starts getting a little less important because we read left to right and and top to bottom. Now, if you happen to be um, from a foreign country and your, your writing is in a different format, then that would be your top real estate. But English speaking, left to right, top to bottom. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Now, how can I tie my artwork into this to maximum advantage? Well, I like to play um, clicky games. And, and what I want to do first, before I even build my website, is I want to come up with a plan of what I want the outcome to be. What do I want my reader to see? What actions do I want them to take? Do I want them to, to sign on to my newsletter? Do I want them to buy a book? Do I want them to end up on that buy a book page? Do I want them to um, read my bio? So you kind of come up with a plan first of where you want them to go and what you want them to see. Then you can use art and clicks and that sort of thing to draw their eyes to that certain area. Maybe you want a larger button that says click here now so that you know that they're most likely going to click on that because they want to see where that's going to take them. And that would be then lead them to a place that's very important to you. Then you might have some smaller buttons that are not so bold or not so eye-catching, maybe more subtle, for the person who's already been there and already seen you know, that, that particular path. But they're looking for, oh, I just wanted to recheck her bio. I just wanted to recheck where her next speaking engagement is. And so those things should be there too. But you should also have the art and the design follow this plan that you've made. People love to click. They really do. There's been studies on that. So having a lot of clicks or have them click frequently with little small tidbits of information is better than having this huge scroll, scroll, scroll piece of text. I'm sure you've, you've come to some sites like that where the, the text just goes on forever and you know you're never going to read it. You just don't have time for that. It's interesting, uh, Jamie, because like what you said, you know, a long page, uh, we'll go halfway through it and then we quit, but we'll read the same amount of material that's, or content that's on that whole page if we go to three different pages. Absolutely. You know, it's all psychological, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and the other <laughs> trick you can do is if you do have one piece that you want to kind of keep together, break it up with little subheaders, um, pieces of art, pictures, People love to see pictures, even if they're not pictures of you. They can be pictures of things that convey the message you're trying to, to bring across. Exactly. And uh, going back to when newspapers, you remember those newspapers? <laughs> and, you know, you would open up the newspaper and you'd kind of do a cursory look first and you would look at the pictures first. Yes. And to see who's in them. And this is the same kind of thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about um, is the different servers. Uh, I know that um, as amateur builders of websiters, sometimes authors don't realize that what they build on, let's say, uh, uh, Firefox may not look the same on um, Internet, Internet Explorer. Explorer. Mm-hmm. And so just maybe give us a few pointers on that. Well, and, and the biggest problem with that is as a web designer, you have no control over what kind of equipment the people have that come to you. You know, and another big one that falls into that same category is your mobile viewers. 
because okay. luckily, you know, a lot of that now is, is coming up to speed where they can view um, real web pages instead of um, specially created ones. But there's still a lot of people out there with older phones, too, who need special consideration. But what happens is, you know, if you have people out there who have an older computer, maybe they're on dial-up, um, you really need to be considerate of that. If possible, uh, I recommend that you look at the website that you've created with different formats. Uh, most web designers will have that, that capability. Um, even from PC to Mac, you'll, you'll see a difference. Um, Mac screens have a tendency to change the colors. I, I believe they're a little bit darker, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, than a, a PC. And um, things like that can, or even just a subtle difference, can make a big difference to the viewer um, who suddenly comes to your site and this glaring yellows at them when on your computer maybe it wasn't that glaring. Um, red is a funny color on, on websites to, to do that kind of thing. So there's definitely that problem out there. And, you know, on the sites that I've worked on, I've had people write me and say, you know, I tried to see this, I couldn't see it, and then you find out, oh, you know, their their browsers, you know, four versions out of date. Uh -huh. There's there's really nothing you can do about that. You can suggest that they upgrade it, but you know, it's not their fault that your technology is above them. So, I think you need to build towards newer technology because people are always going to be upgrading and having it. But I think you also need to have a place where the other people can still view and see it. Um, one of my pet peeves is when you go and there are um, flash menu items, and if for some reason you can't use flash, for example, on an iPhone, you have no menus. There's definitely considerations about browsers and, and servers and that sort of thing to, to take into consideration. Another thing that Anish uh, has brought to mind, because just before I um, was on the computer here, before we started talking about load-up time, and I was going to one site, and it just like took forever. And Safari has a great uh, program that um, if you go and look up the site on uh, Safari, it'll tell you how many seconds. It took 11 and a half seconds. Getting for computer that time that's forever. <laughs> and you know, I mean, people will not, they will not stay that long. They will move on. And it's certainly, you know, a second and a half, two seconds at the maximum if you have graphics and so on. For a load up. And, and that's something that's always puzzled me as well because, again, it's not always the website that might be doing it. It could be that that person's on dial up. It could be uh -huh. a server between you and that site that's doing that. Um, I, I actually have some issues with that on my own site occasionally, and trying to find ways to work around it is not always easy because it's not always you. Uh -huh. But you, you should be considerate of that. Um, having a movie that takes forever to load before a person can see it, that's a bad choice. Um, having a really long flash presentation as your splash screen to get into the site, that's a bad choice. So there's, there's definitely considerations that should be made for time. It, it's really like picking up a book. They say you have a few seconds when a person picks up a book um, before they decide to put it back down, and a website is definitely the same. Well, and I always feel too and say that uh, that home page is actually, and your website is your storefront. Yes. And uh, that's something that really needs to be considered. So as an author, what are some of the um, 
suggestions, let's say, as a fiction author and maybe a fiction author that writes mysteries, thrillers, what could that website look like? Uh, you know, it's, it seems to me easier to do a nonfiction because you can put all kinds of things, tips, you know, and so on. But fiction is just a little harder. So how can an author personalize it more? One of my favorite tricks is to find a tie-in. For example, say your mystery, your mystery character knits. So you bring in some knitting. Then you're not only bringing in mystery readers to your site. People who are out there Google searching knitting are coming into your site. So you're getting a cross mix of people who may be interested in, in each thing that you're presenting, but um, you also have some other content. Um, maybe a good example is one of my authors, when, when back in the days when I did build websites, one of my authors, um, her book contained some low country recipes. So she put low country recipes and cooking as a separate kind of side section to her website and people would be coming in, oh, I'm looking for a recipe. Oh, here's a great recipe. Oh my gosh, this lady's an author. And what is the one thing that you want to do as an author? That's get new readers. Let's face it, that everybody that knows you, you've already told them about your site. You've already told them about your book. Once you've sold to them, you need people who have never heard of you, people who are never going to look for you by name. So these kinds of little side tricks are a good way to bring people in and add content to your site. Great. Yeah, those are all excellent ideas. Let's just talk a little bit more about fundamentals. And as I'm planning my website, what are some of the things that are different in terms of approaching it versus reading a magazine or a book? Well, one we've already talked about is keeping things in short sound bites. Another is pictures, kind of balancing out pictures or art, balancing out the actual text, having enough things to click, but you certainly don't have, you know, going back to Irene saying that, you know, what if you're a fiction author and you, you really don't have that much uh, content to offer, um, you don't have to have 15 tabs across, you know, to click on, but you need to kind of think logically as far as, you know, well, what can I offer? What's going to be very important? Um, certainly you want the typical things, but you also want something that's a little bit of a surprise so that when people come to your site, you stick around. Um, think of ways to keep people on your site or to keep them coming back. Do you have some sort of contest running? Do you have some place where people can leave comments so that um, that gives them conversing and wanting to find out what other people said to come back. Um, so those are some fundamentals. Um, basic good design as far as um, navigation is important. And again, going back to color is important. It seems like uh, you want something that's sort of a hybrid. I mean, it's sort of a, a static site in that it's got all the information, but it has to be a little bit more dynamic, more blog-like to be something that people will come back to. I feel that, that static is becoming old hat because we're raising a bunch of children now who have had access to computers. They, they are TV and video freaks. They have video games. They're used to motion. They're used to interaction. They're texting. And as we've integrated that into our culture, static site is... is Important, I think, for the fundamentals. But if you want people to keep coming back there so that they find out about your next, your next book or your next offering or your next um, event that you're going to be at, 
you need something to keep them coming back, and, and usually that's going to be some sort of interactive thing. Great. Yeah, one easy thing you can do to, to make your site a little more dynamic is to have the, the author maybe do a reading or be recorded at an event and, and use some kind of audio playback. Certainly uh, podcasts, video clips, as long as they're not too long so that they load quickly, and they should be at the user's discretion as to whether they watch them or not. They shouldn't auto-run. Those things are great. You know, we're, we're a multimedia world. Let's uh, just kind of swing into blogs, Jamie. And um, you had mentioned uh, having the static site is sort of, you know, it's an important thing, but also having a blog where there's interaction. Now, is that something that should be separate from the website, or is it something that uh, can be incorporated to the website? What do you suggest? I'm sure that whoever you ask, you get a different opinion from on that. I kind of integrate mine by just having a tab that makes it seem like you're still there, but it usually goes to another site. Um, I like having mine on a separate site in, in some cases because I'm getting more um, search engine traffic. For example, if I'm using Blogger, you know, Blogger seems to like to pick up different things than if it's on my site. But then I, on some of the sites, I also have it integrated as well. So I'm, I'm not really, oh, it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way. Um, and really, for a first-time author, sometimes a blog is a good place to start um, because blogs are a lot more uh, decorative, I guess I want to say, than they were in the past. And you can do a lot more with them to make them individualized. They're easy to update. They, you know, I, I have some authors that can barely send an email, but they can blog because it can be set up for them so they can just send an email and it'll blog it for them. So I think I think that's a good way to start, and that's a good way to kind of start building a following and an audience because uh, if you can get people to start visiting your blog, then the first thing they're going to do after they read some of your blog is what? Go to your website, learn more, you know. So I know that some authors say, well, but I don't have anything to blog about. What do I blog about? Well, it was great because just yesterday we had a guest blogger on the Polka Dot banner, and she was speaking right to that, and everybody was thrilled with some of the ideas that she came up with. I don't know that I can remember them all, but she talked about reviewing like genre books. For example, if you're a fiction author, um, you might talk about the other kinds of books that you like and review those, interview those authors. And, and one of the things that I've played upon with the Polka Dot Banner is bringing together like-minded individuals. So you're not just going it alone. Um, you're bringing in a pool of people who are, are talking about the same things, working together. So you know, if you're reviewing other people's books in the same genre or interviewing them or interacting with them on your blog, then they may invite you over to their blog, and a couple other people that are tied in with that may invite you over to their blog. And pretty soon you're, you've got a whole network of people who are out there helping to drive traffic to your sites and your blog. I, uh, I have a blog that is separate from my website, although that's, there's a tab to go to it. And what I do is I put articles on three times a week, and I'm amazed at the following that I have. I tweet, and I put uh, the link on my Facebook you know, three times a week, and it's amazing. I'm just amazed at the people that follow it. And it's just articles, you know, I guess it's a topic of my book, 
but I write about life, and people love it. And and I think probably in doing that and, and knowing some of the stuff that you've done, it's also showing kind of an inner side of you. Your personality is coming through. It's not benign. It's showing who you are, what you care about, what you believe in. And and when you do that, that tends to grab readers by the heart and they want to participate in that too. Exactly. And that's certainly things that authors can do, regardless if they're fiction or non-fiction writers. So, Jamie, before we uh, close off here, do you have any last-minute a tip for our authors, or do you have anything that uh, you know anything that you can share with them that we haven't covered yet? One of my favorite cheaters' tips is that, and this one got me, so that's why I started thinking about this kind of thing. Was I got one of those you know emails from somebody's list that I was on, and it said, "Oh, here's a picture of my twins," and I don't know if they were like they were out in the yard with a hose fight or something. It was something kind of silly, and I was like, I, I, I couldn't help myself. I had to go see it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it. And it wasn't like blatant selling when I went to the site. It was like a cute little story about, you know, what happened that day. And, of course, there was links if you wanted to go see more. Again, showing life and being human. Uh-huh. And, and I think a lot of times newer authors or single title authors are afraid to show who they really are. Um, and so I think that would be my, my secret tip of the day. And, you know, I wanted to just add to that. We're really into a relational era right now. Uh, you know, the last, last century was, uh, in the last bit of the last century, was very reactive type of selling and buying. Now we're into relational, and we'll notice this on TV commercials. It's like we'll sit there and watch, and all of a sudden at the end we find out, oh, it's actually a commercial for something, but we don't know. But we all of a sudden have this relationship with the people in the commercial. This is no different with our websites and our blog. Absolutely. And uh, that relationship is so, so important. Jamie, polka.banner.com. And I just want to uh, spell that out, P-O-L-K-A dot banner. So it's like the polka dots itself. Thank you so much for taking the time, Jamie, being with us, giving us all these tips. I know that uh, many authors out there are happy to have these tips, and uh, I encourage them to go to your site. Again, it's polka.banner.com, and connect with you. It's easy to find you there and communicate with you, and and, uh, I know that you're very good at the work that you do leading authors to the right places. Well, thanks so much for having me, both of you. I enjoyed it immensely. And I want to say that I built the Polka Dot banner after being on Reader's Views and getting good results on there and going, how can I duplicate this? How can I make this keep working for me? Great. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's encouraging. Yes, and we're happy to have you. Okay, this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back next time when our topic will be Success as a Full-Time Paid Blogger, and our special guest will be Ernest Dempsey. You can learn more about all of our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. 
Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas, signing off. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.